Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. If we don't name it, terrorists won't come. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carroll a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Yes, if we don't name it, terrorists won't come. You know, that's from that movie, if, if we build it, they will come. Well, um, there is a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world, and a lot of it uh, these days has to do with not just terrorists, but our reaction, um, society's reaction, certain people in society's reaction to um, actually acknowledging that terrorists exist. Now, um, if a patient came in to me and tried to tell me that there was no such thing as a terrorist um, or no such thing as something else going on in their life that they don't really want to look at, like, let's say, a husband who, you know, they have all the signs that a husband is cheating, for example, or um, their kid is, you know, showing all the signs of using drugs, but they don't, they don't want to pay attention. They don't want that to be in their life, so they're in denial. And sometimes it gets to the point of delusion. Well, that is what is happening in London these days, <laughs> my, one of my favorite cities in the world. Um, there is a new report out that the BBC is going to ban the word terror. Yes, uh, the T word. That's what we're, we're going to have to call it from now on, you know. There's the N word and there's the T word. We, we can't say the word terror. Uh, supposedly, there is, has also been a ban on the words terrorist and terrorism. And in fact, there were problems um, in London in regard to the New Zealand attack because apparently uh, the BBC either didn't use those words at all or they, um, you know, they talked around them or they used it sparingly. Uh, maybe those people who didn't get the memo. <laughs> but um, now they want to ban the word terror itself, not just terrorist and terrorism, but terror as in terror attack. I mean, I know you're probably, I know what you're thinking. What? Where did she get that? <laughs> well, you can look it up. Now, um, this hasn't been, it's sort of, there's various, uh, some of this information has been from sources, inside sources. So there are varying degrees of certainty as to how much of this um, is actually going to be enacted or is fact, I mean, hopefully it'll all turn out to be just a, a rumor, but it is certainly a significant rumor. Um, so the, the plan is to refer to terror attacks instead of saying the word terror um, by location or the type of attack, like you know, a bombing attack somewhere or, or a shooting attack somewhere, you know, and, and with the location of where it is. Um, you know, terrorists are loving this. I hope you can figure that out, that um, they are laughing at us or at the BBC for the time being, but at us too. I'll go on to explain about us, but I've talked about this before, how America is in, in such denial and de delusional 
um, about the lack of the ongoing threat of terrorists. But in any case, right now we're talking about the BBC. And um, I love the BBC. I've been on numerous programs on the BBC, um, including about terrorism. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I'm not going to be able to say that anymore. Um, anyhow, let's hope, as I said, that it was all just a, um, a bad rumor. Um, they are, there has been, um, there has been uh, sort of an uproar about this from MPs and some experts, some complaints about their sanitizing terrorism. Um, terror is being, is, they're actually trying to squeeze out um, the word terror and the concept of terror altogether, which, as I was starting to say, of course, the terrorists love. The less attention that we give to terror, to terrorism, to terror attacks, the more they are able to operate quietly underground until the next eight attack. Um, now, interestingly, the BBC News editorial director is named Kamal Ahmed. And he said, there is no agreed definition of what a terrorist is. Really? According to the New Oxford Dictionary, a terrorist is someone who uses violence and intimidation in the pursuit of political aims. Um, I don't think that we have any uh, question as to who a terrorist is. Someone needs to tell Kamal Ahmed, however. Enough said on that. Um, another example in Europe of um, craziness in regard to terrorism this is really crazy. I mean, the, the, well, they're both really crazy. They are, they are equally crazy. Um, but in France, you know, the, the France's answer to this is Marine Le Pen. Now, you may not like Le, Marine Le Pen. She is uh, the leader of the right in France. She ran and lost an election, but she's still hanging in there and this keeps trying to win power. Um, now, you know, there have been, I don't, I don't, I, I can't say for sure what I feel about her because although I agree with some of the things that she stands for, you know, there have been accounts of her being um, anti-Semitic. So my, I haven't, you know, made a decision yet about her. However, in this story, I am certainly for her. She is about uh, to stand trial for tweeting, tweeting. She's going to be put on trial for tweeting, for tweeting violent images of terrorists. And she is facing three years of prison and a 75,000 euro fine. Now, the images that she put up, and this was in December 2015, she put up images. You know, she didn't make these things up. These are not photoshopped images. These are real images that, you know, that were in the news that she put, that she tweeted. <laughs> and um, she, they were killings by the Islamic State, um, for, such as a Jordanian pilot being burned to death in a cage and a decapitated body of American journalist, James Foley. Now, again, these are real pictures, not, um, not something that she photoshopped together. These are horrible pictures, um, but they are news. They are things that people need to know about. She did not put them up there 
for uh, to sensationalize, you know, or to say this is great. She was trying to say how horrible this was and we should all be paying attention to this. So she said um, that her, this, these charges against her are a shameful pursuit against those who denounce the terrorist group. It says a lot about the state of political and moral decay of our ruling elites who welcome jihadis and their families with open arms. This is what she said. Of course, she said, uh, this is paraphrased. This paraphrases what she said in French. Um, Now, it was thought that this last part about elites who welcome jihadis and their families with open arms was a reference to the fact that the French government just recently announced that 12 children of French jihadis have been repatriated from Syria back to France. So, and what's interesting is that um, the prosecutors who are, want to prosecute her uh, or are going to prosecute her, presumably, if, you know, it seems like, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that they're actually going to be putting this woman um, on trial for, for tweeting um, and tweeting something that was probably in all the French uh, news reports at one time, you know, when they happened. Um, So prosecutors wanted her to take psychological tests as part of this this trial, um, these charges against her. Now, I think that the prosecutors are the ones who should be taking psychological tests, um, not Marine Le Pen. She is trying to inform people about these horrible things that are going on and to get people to pay attention, to wake up out of their slumber And really, um, you know, that is to be applauded, but it is just nobody wants to acknowledge that there is an ongoing threat because people, because it's, it's, um, you know, it's an inconvenient truth. (laughs) It's a more inconvenient truth than when that that phrase was used to talk about climate. Um, You know, we don't want to believe that there are terrorists out to get us. We saw what happened with 9-11. Europe saw what happened. You know, there are certainly plenty of attacks, terror attacks in, the, in London, in, in the UK, and in France. And yet people want to be in denial that these things exist. Well, <laughs> as they're being murdered in the next terror attack, I think they might have second thoughts about, hmm, maybe we should be paying attention to this. But when we come back, we will talk more about, if we don't name it, Terrorists won't come, so stay tuned. Welcome back. We've been talking today about the craziness of people wanting to be in denial or even be delusional about the real threat of terrorism. So the only times that people um, pay attention, and now I'm going to be talking about uh, the U.S., the only times, and, and but just with a caveat that whatever happens in Europe, like I was just talking about London, UK, and, um, and France, you know, those are the canaries in the coal mine. We need to be paying attention to what's happening there because we are not far behind. Uh, and as I've talked about in previous podcasts already, the fake, fake news isn't paying enough attention to reporting terrorism. I was just talking about that in a previous podcast. So this is kind of similar, except it's taken to an even crazier degree now. 
All right, so the only times that we pay attention to the fact that, huh, maybe there are terrorists lurking is when something happens, like what happened in the last couple of weeks in New York City. Now, I've talked in a previous podcast about the plot that was foiled um, to create explosives, uh, detonate explosives in Times Square. And um, if you remember, or you can always go back and listen to that podcast, um, I talked about, at the time that I was recording the podcast, they hadn't yet announced the name of the person whose plot they foiled to um, detonate Times Square. And I said, uh, I will bet that um, it is someone with an with a Muslim name, and they are trying to be super PC by not telling us who it is. And then remember, I, I, we, what we did know, there was one newspaper, I think it was the New York Post, who found out and reported that um, this person, the wannabe terrorist, lived in Queens, which, as I mentioned, is now, um, there are a lot of um, immigrants um, from terrorist countries living in Queens these days. I grew up in Queens <laughs> and there weren't then in Flushing or Forest Hills. Um, anyhow, nothing bad about, about Queens. I still love Queens. I still love New York, which is why, you know, all this stuff is so important to me. In any case, the name of this wannabe terrorist whose plot they foiled is Ashikwal Alam. Ashikwal Alam. He is a 22-year-old native of Bangladesh who was living in Queens. Um, he was um, meeting with undercover agents. Undercover agents, you know, had, um, came, had discovered him, and they had started meeting with him, surveilling him, since August 2018. And finally, and during this time, he was expressing... Um, violent Islamist sentiments. He was pledging his allegiance, saying that he loved Osama, uh, Anwar al-Awlaki, al 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 uh, ISIS, um, and so on. You know, all of the all of the um, <laughs> all of the stars of terrorism. And he was arrested on June sixth when he finally bought two pistols to carry out this attack. He had bought other things, too. When they went to his apartment, they found other um, items that he had bought in towards having this terror attack in Times Square. Uh, he talked about being that he would be happy to see the flag of Islam on the Twin Towers or the Empire State Building. Now, this the, that's a quote. Um, People aren't making it up. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Um, the, I'm sure the FBI and the counterterrorism task force who uh, captured him, arrested him, uh, are, didn't make it up. That is what it is. So it's, you can't say that this is Islamophobic if he himself says he would be happy to see the flag of Islam on the Twin Towers or the Empire State Building. Now, this is the 111th Islamist terror plot or, or attack against the U.S. homeland since 9-11. And it's the 98th to be a homegrown plot. 
Now, another, so, okay, all, so that's when, when this plot was uh, foiled uh, and it was in the news, um, you know, all of a sudden that's when people, especially people in New York, uh, remembered, oh yeah, oh yeah, there are still terrorists planning to attack us, huh? Um, and just a reminder, or for those of you who never heard this, um, it was because I was born and bred in New York. Um, I currently live in LA, but you can't take the New York out of the girl, even if you take the girl out of New York. And so when 9-11 happened, that is when I changed my life and became the terrorist therapist and have done a whole bunch of things, two books, and lots of in interviews, talks, et cetera. I travel around the world giving talks to help people cope with terrorism. And, um, but I changed my life to focus on this um, because it is the worst thing that is going to happen in our lifetime, the most dangerous thing, the most psychologically traumatic thing. And so I felt as a psychiatrist that I should be helping people cope with this. So anyhow, the other thing that happened also in the last couple of weeks in New York that made people wake up and, and um, have their memories of 9-11 triggered was a helicopter crash. Um, a helicopter crashed on the roof of a Manhattan high rise, uh, 787 7th Avenue, which is between 51st and 52nd Street. So it's in Midtown Manhattan. It happened at 1.40 PM on Monday, past Monday. Um, the, it was a foggy and rainy day. The, um, they have video of this helicopter before the crash on the rooftop. And of course, it reminded people of 9-11 because, I mean, crashing into a building, a, a plane, uh, even though it's a helicopter, still a plane crashing into a building, a fire causing a fire, um, ash, um, people looking up and running. You, you know, you can see all of the different uh, similarities between this and 9-11 and people were interviewed in the street and they were saying, you know, talking about all these similarities. Oh, wow. It reminded me of 9-11 and people were, you know, all of a sudden people were reminded emotionally of what they felt on 9-11. So the pilot who was killed in this crash was named Tim McCormick. And he was actually um, a certified as a commercial pilot and as an instructor but he wasn't certified to fly on instruments when there was low visibility, as there was that day. And um, he took off from 34th Street, East 34th Street, a heliport there. It's a private plane, private helicopter, that is owned by a real estate investment firm. And um, there are reports that he tried calling into the, this 34th Street heliport and um, different reports as to what he said. Some people, some reports, you know, you know, these sources said that he called to report an unspecified issue. And um, he said he wanted to return to land. Other reports say that he said that he was lost. Now, I actually started wondering, and of course they said, you know, the news reports right away were say, saying, even though it was triggering memories of 9-11, there is no evidence that it was terrorism. And I'm not saying that it was terrorism. Um, this happened 11 minutes after takeoff. Uh, he was on his way to his home um, airport, which was in Linden, New Jersey. Now, um, I did have the thought, hmm, 
I wonder um, if really, you know, this man was uh, a terrorist. And even though this is a helicopter, and he's not going to do that much damage. Uh, although I guess with the fire, he could have done more damage than he did. He was the only one who was killed. But, um, but I don't think that that is likely since he has been reported as being a very well-respected former upstate New York fire chief. Not that fire chiefs, <laughs> not that it's impossible, but from all that I read about him, it seems very unlikely that he is a terrorist and that this was a terrorist attack. It was, it was unfortunately, um, just, it just seems to have been um, poor judgment for him, for him to fly in such low visibility. But anyhow, the reason why I, I mentioned this is because this helicopter crash, just like the foiled plot, all of a sudden wakes people from their slumber as they remember times, uh, as they remember 9-11 and they remember that yes, indeed, there may be terrorists out there who are still plotting to attack us, as indeed there are. So when we come back, I will talk more about this whole issue of um, why it's not a good idea to stay in denial or delusion about terrorism. Well, today, as you know, we're talking about if we don't name it, terrorists won't come. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's not true. <laughs> and I'm giving you all kinds of examples of this. Here's another example. Even Bill Gates wants, for as rich and successful as he is, even Bill Gates wants to try to prove that there is um, a disconnect between what we see in the news, of course, unfortunately, we don't see much about terrorism in the news, or enough, um, or all of it, and reality. Um, so he's, we must fight the fear instinct that distorts our perspective. And he goes on to try to prove that um, there is a relatively low number of deaths due to terrorism um, as compared to some other causes of death. And of course, you know, this is primarily due to better vigilance and advances in prevention, just like I was talking about, about the foiled plot in regard to Times Square. But in any case, the way he, he looked at it, if you do uh, look, to, look at it statistically, the, you get, um, you, the statistics essentially give an, an, an erroneous impression because when you look at statistics, um, it depends upon, depends, well, you know, it depends upon how you interpret the statistics. Um, in a normal bell curve, so like looking at deaths over 10 years, for example, um, the number of people who died, in the, I'm think he's looking at the, just the United States, but the number of people who died um, is, is smaller, let's say, than the number of people who died from heart attacks or cancer. But you can't look at it that way. Uh, you can't divide 10 years. You can't look at the number of deaths in 10 years because there are, of course, every year going to be lots of people dying from cancer and heart attacks, for example, or from um, a toaster, uh, having a short circuit in a toaster or falling off a ladder. These are things that are fairly constant year by year, okay? So if you divide the number of deaths by 10 years, if you're looking at it over 10 years, you're going to have a fairly constant, I mean, yes, sometimes things go up a little and down a little, but you're going to have a fairly constant amount. 
with terrorism, it's different because it's in spikes. So you can't divide it by the same 10 years. Um, there have been between 2000 and 2009, there have been 3,042 deaths from terrorism. But of course, 9-11 contributed to 2,996 of them. And so 98.48% of the total fatalities. So um, if you divide that by 10, the 3,042, you get 30.42 per year. But you can't look at it like that because that isn't a fairly constant kind of um, uh, cause of death like cancer, heart attacks, falling off a ladder. So Bill Gates's way of trying to prove that we shouldn't be afraid of terrorism doesn't work. <laughs> then um, there's an interesting study that just came out about, um, they called it deaths of despair, deaths <laughs> of despair from drug, alcohol, and suicide hit young adults hardest. So this just came out. And the study shows that young adults, essentially millennials, are most likely to die from drug, alcohol, or suicide than anybody else in this time period that they looked at um, in, this, in the recent time period. And men, millennials are generally thought of as people who are born between 1981 and 1996. Some studies or some uh, reports look to count people who are born up to 2000 as um, millennials still. So um, why, why, why are millennials dying more, uh, pr proportionally more than other people from drugs, alcohol, and suicide? Well, I call the millennial generation the 9-11 generation. They grew up under the cloud, literally, of 9-11. And um, when some of them, you know, were um, born, well, it, it's a range of people who were born around the time of 9-11 to people who were in college at the time of 9-11. But who, at whatever age these millennials are or were at the time of 9-11, um, or <laughs> if they were born, um, their parents were certainly traumatized by 9-11. And the parenting that their parents did, in other words, um, during this range of time that millennials were born, um, yes, they are different ages, but for all of them, their parents were here when 9-11 happened and were traumatized by it. And that, of course, affected their parenting. Now, um, you know, the parents, um, all of us who were here um, in America during 9-11 have some degree or another of PTSD. Even if you just watched it, watched hours and hours of it on television. Um, then, you know, so, so these, so millennials are, um, th this, these deaths or these destruction, this, these, this sense of despair, um, alcohol, drugs, cutting, suicide, you know, it's the sense of life being short. That's one of the symptoms actually of PTSD is you think that your life is gonna be shorter 
than you originally expected it to be. So it feels like life is going to be short, shorter than one feels entitled to. Um, so some millennials have the let's eat dessert first uh, philosophy. You know, life is short, eat dessert first, which can account for why there are such things as hookups instead of long relationships, changing jobs more frequently than previous generations, uh, live it up now rather than making long-term plans that include discipline now. And then, of course, alcohol and drugs are, and cutting, uh, an escape from, um, and comfort food, too, are an escape from reality. People don't want to be around uh, for the next terrorist attack. Uh, they don't want to be killed in it. Now, a lot of these things, of course, most of these things, for most people, most millennials, these things are unconscious. Like if you're thinking, what? Um, I'm a millennial and I don't really think that way. Or uh, I know millennials. I have children who are millennials. Whatever your connection is, you know, it's unconscious. I'm not saying that they are thinking consciously um, about, about what I just talked about, but it is an unconscious um, effect of, of growing up with parents who had a form and a degree of PTSD. So why um, does America, and apparently Europe, <laughs> um, lack interest in paying attention to the terrorist threat? Well, first of all, there is little awareness of it, and, you know, largely because the media um, is very selective in what they show and how much they show. Another part is that we have gotten numb or desensitized to these kinds of stories. Another reason is we're afraid to connect evil to a religion, to Islam. Uh, you know, that's not PC. And you're called, you're called Islamophobic um, if you, you know, acknowledge that these people say things like what I said earlier about how this man who wanted to perpetrate the attack in Times Square said he wants to see the Islam flag over the Twin Towers and um, the Empire State Building. Um, also, there is something somewhat mysterious about the jihadist ideology. It's hard to make heads or tails about why someone would want to throw away their life, especially, you know, a lot of the uh, terrorists are people who are, who are living in despair. Um, but well, not, uh, not that, I mean, living in despair, which is obvious to see why they would be living that way or feeling that way. But then we've seen um, recently, actually, in Sri Lanka, for example, terrorists who were behind that attack were very well-to-do. They had their parents, their families. They were very privileged. And um, they had, you know, they went to college and it's sometimes it's very hard to understand why they would throw away what their life was like and could still be um, to become martyrs. So um, the bottom line for all of this is that jihadists revel in our lack of scrutiny. Um, the more we don't pay attention, the more we're in denial the more we're in delusion about terrorists putting, not using the word terror in a news report. A BBC is an incredibly respected um, news organization. For them to ban the word terror 
uh, or terrorism or terrorist is it, it feels like um it feels like this is some some other world that um this is like uh a, <laughs> just um some what's the word i'm looking for like uh some science fiction world where people are just so out of touch with reality. And the same thing, of course, with Marine Le Pen standing trial for tweeting. Really? With that, um, I will leave you and let you think about some of these things. And more than that, I would hope that you um, do what you can to try to, um, to try to make sure that this, de these delusions and uh, denials don't continue. I know that I certainly am trying to wake you up to this as well. So thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, Check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.